live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I hate it. I hate it when your wife tells you something and you are, you disagree and you are immediately proved wrong. I mean, it, it's just, I, I had that experience this morning. See, Gru, my wife makes my lunch. Fran makes the lunch because she is afraid that if she doesn't, I will either not eat, which is a bad thing, or that I will eat crap, which is what she is really afraid of. You know, you'll, you'll go to that vending machine and you'll get the Cheetos and, and whatever. So typically, get this little lunch. It's got like an apple that's cut up. It's got a little thing of peanut butter in it. I love peanut butter and apples. And, and typically, she'll like take a piece of turkey or a piece of ham and like wrap it around some cheese. So it's no bread. It's extremely healthy. No carbs at all. Um, and, and, and I enjoy it. So this morning, she has made my lunch. It's in the little container. And she's leaving to run some errands or something, so I'm going to be leaving second. And she says, okay, you're not going to forget this now, are you? I said, no, of course I'm not going to forget it. She said, tell you what, I've got your Wall Street Journal here. Why don't I, and, and you won't leave the house without the Wall Street Journal. Why don't I put the Wall Street Journal in the refrigerator along with your lunch? Because that will remind you that your lunch is there. I say, don't be silly, honey. I'm going to remember the lunch. You're not putting the newspaper in the refrigerator. So she says, fine. Doesn't put the newspaper in the refrigerator. Leaves it with the rest of my stuff. Goes about running her errands. I leave the house. Guess what I forgot. Guess what is still back in the refrigerator. Yes, it is that lunch. I I was trying to think, can I run home quick and, and get it? No, that wasn't going to actually work. So I just had to kind of fess up that... Did not do this in time. Oh, by the way, if if you think I'm going to devote two minutes on this program today to apologizing for the Packer win last night and feeling bad about the referees and some of the calls that they made, no way. J- just no way. I mean, here 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 is the deal. As a put-upon Packer fan, and again, I'm one of these people that believe that, you know, the universe has a way of, of evening things out. I, okay, yes. Those two um, hands-to-the-face call last night were, were probably questionable calls, questionable calls. And I don't know that they should have been made. But you know what? I mean, you just think about what's been going on with the Packers over the last several years. Need I go back? Let's start with the fail Mary pass up in Seattle where you had that mystery thing. We are still owed for that one. And then how about last year? Remember the series of games. It seemed like it was almost three in a row where every time Clay Matthews would touch the quarterback, you would have a flag thrown for roughing the passer. In particular, remember the second game of the year last year, and I do because I was there at that game. They're playing the Minnesota Vikings. Close game. The Vikings are are driving down the field at the end of the game. Uh, Kurt Cousins throws a pass that gets intercepted. Boom, that's going to be the game, except 
they have flagged Clay Matthews for roughing the passer on a really phantom sort of call. Vikings go on to tie the game. It ends up in a tie. Cost, clearly cost the Packers a win. And, and then you had two other questionable calls later on. How about earlier this year, that Philadelphia game, where you have the, the clear, the clear cut pass interference as the Packer receiver is breaking open and they, they do the replay and they say, well, nothing to see here, which I think has all of us commenting, huh, if they aren't going to reverse that, you know, what is pass interference? Bottom line is officials get it right. Officials get it wrong. You can argue that those two calls last night probably could could easily not have been made, and who knows what that does for the game. But if you think I'm going to apologize, no way at all. The way I see it, the Packers are still on the karma scale. I think they're still behind in kind of some of the bad call range. So that's it. The other thing I will comment about that game is, boy, are the Packers lucky that Alan Lazard came up and played. And I, I they're 5-1, and one, take nothing away from it. If Darius Shepard gets back, he almost single-handedly cost the Packers the game. I've never seen anybody try to catch a punt like center fielders catch fly balls. Gee, what a surprise. That didn't work out. And then... That pass that hits him in the face and bounces up and gets intercepted. Um, I don't know. If the Packers had other alternatives, you wonder how much longer Darius Shepard would be on the team. But I think one of the things that last night demonstrated is this can be a really special team. I, I do, with this trade line dead, deadline coming up, um, if, if there was a you know, a high-quality wide receiver that was out there that you could pick up for the balance of the year for an exchange for like a fourth or fifth-round draft pick, I think they would be well-advised to, to do it because the the truth is Aaron Rodgers, still he's still got it, but you got to have people who can get open and catch the ball once he throws it to him. But in any event, not apologizing at all, a very good win. All right, let us get started. Tom Barrett. Tom Barrett back in the news. He says, unless... I get more money. My decision is that I am going to cut police officers. Now, what Barrett wants and what Chris Abley want is they want the legislature in Madison to authorize Milwaukee County to have a binding referendum on whether or not you can have a sales tax increase. The legislature has to sign off on it. And then the voters have to approve it. The smart money says that the state legislature, controlled by Republicans, who did not go to Madison to raise taxes on anybody, the complete, um, the, the, the smart money says they're, they're not going to vote to do this. They're not going to give them the authority. But even if they get the authority, it's no guarantee at all that voters in Milwaukee County are going to vote to increase their, their sales tax. Um, and, and of course, this is the, gee, this added tax revenue boost that both Chris Abley and the mayor are kind of hanging their hats on. Now, I am already on record as saying, if it were up to me, I, I'd, I'm, I'm a big believer in local determination, and even though I, I think in many respects, you can argue that the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County are not the best stewards of taxpayer dollars. I, I would I would vote to allow them to have the referendum. So if I were voting on this, I'd say, okay, let let Milwaukee County decide if they want to raise their their taxes. But the bottom line of this is, it's it's not close to being a done deal. I mean, it's just not close to being a done deal. And the reality is that. It, it's a it's a lengthy process because even if you 
get permission from the legislature to do this, which is a big question mark. Then you've got to put the referendum on the ballot. Then you've got to try to see if the referendum passes. And then and only then can you start collecting the sales tax. So it's not like all of a sudden, you know, the first day the sales tax goes into effect, you've got a hundred plus million dollars rolling in. I, you know, it's, it's a long process even if it were to happen, and my sense is it is not going to happen. So the mayor, he's saying, well, look, here's what's going to happen. If if I don't get my way, if we don't get the sales tax increase in Milwaukee County, the city is going to get a part of, um, we're going to lose 60 sworn police officer positions. We're not going to fire people. We're just not going to replace them. So we're going to be down 60 spots. And... What the mayor is saying today is that, you know, this is this is going to be an ongoing matter. If if this does not happen, if we don't get the binding referendum, um, what's going to happen is in all likelihood that moving forward, there will have to be more cuts to the police department. We're not going to cut middle managers that make six figures. We're going to cut the police officers. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here, here is my question. Do you think the mayor is really serious when, when he says this? And, and, I, and I ask that legitimately. Do you think he is really serious that cutting 60 police officers, if he doesn't get the money he wants, that this is where it is going to come from the budget? Do you really think that the mayor of the city of Milwaukee would put public safety at risk? Because that's what's going to happen if you cut 60 police officers or more. Or if this doesn't happen, do you think that there's going to be other places where you find the money to do what needs to be done? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you think the mayor is really serious about this? My answer would be not really. I think this is all kind of a stunt. Again, if it, I, if it were up to me, I, I'd let Milwaukee vote on it. That, that's what I would do. But if it doesn't, I will be stunned if they seriously cut 60 police positions. What do you think? 414-799-1620. And by the way, I, I sure hope not, because I can think of lots of ways to save a lot of money without cutting cops. All right, 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Lamar in Orlando, Florida. Hi, Lamar. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Rewind back to 2010 when then-Governor Walker passed the, as he called it, the Budget Repair Bill, which we now know as Act 10. Right. The whole purpose of that was to give the local municipalities the tools for which to deal with these these big you know public union contracts, so that kind of forced them into making the necessary uh, concessions to deal with this. The police and fire have not been held to this, yep. not to the standard that the other public uh, you know public yep. unions have been. And I think that this problem was created by the state, and I think that the state is the only solution because you know revenues. You, you can only you know manage it at, at certain levels for so long. You have to raise revenues at some point. And if they're not going to force police to, to take concessions like they've done with teachers and every other uh, public union, um, I think that th- there's no other way around this. Okay, well, no, no, let, let's. I, I was with you up, up until that point. So let, let's play this out. Let's mm-hmm. say the mayor says, all right, I, I want 
I, I, I got to have the sales tax increase. I want the legislature to authorize it, and then I'm, I'm hoping the voters vote for it. What happens if either one of those things don't happen? What happens if the legislature doesn't pass it, or Milwaukee counter voters say, no, we, we don't want to increase our sales tax? What, do you think then, the mayor then seriously cuts cops? Or he, t- or he tells them what, what that we've told every other public union. Look, you either take concessions, to save the jobs, or we have no choice. Okay. I, I don't think there's any other way around it. Well, I mean, there, there's ways around it, which is to look for other places that you would make cuts, like getting rid of you know middle managers in some you know, government agency, or, or cutting mayoral aides, or aides to you know the the common council, or things like that. I mean, there's things you could do other than going after the cops. Well, there's two, there's two, there's two comments I want to make on that. Number one, I don't think that cutting, cutting in other positions wouldn't address it not long term because no. you'd be trying to nickel and dime it. But I also want to point out that back in 2000, 2008, there was an advisory referendum asking to raise the sales tax for transit parks and public, uh, right. public safety and it passed. And so I think that, you know, voters will probably pass it anyways. Okay. Well, thanks. Again, again Lamar, there, there's two issues. I, as, as I have said, if I were in the legislature, even though I think you can make a strong argument that the city of Milwaukee hasn't been the best steward of public money, I, I would say, again, I would put it up to a referendum. It's just like with these school referendums, you know, we allow the different school districts to ask for more money. I, I would do that if it were, were me. But it, it seems to me it's a huge stretch to base a budget, number one, on, gee, we want the legislature to do this, and then we want to assume that the voters are going to do this, and then, by the way, even if they do, it's going to be a while before all the money comes in. I guess I I don't see realistically that the mayor would ever seriously get rid of 60 police positions. To me, and we get another number of texts that are pointing this out. I, I see some of this as political theater. And I understand that some people don't want to hear that. It's kind of like these school districts. Racine was famous for doing this. Racine used to have these referendums. It seemed like every nine months they'd have a school referendum, and they'd ask to spend more and spend more, and the voters kept saying no. And so then what happened is somebody got the idea of, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell people that if they don't say yes to the referendum – we're going to get rid of all extracurricular activities. We're going to get rid of the football team. We're going to get rid of the basketball team, et cetera, et cetera. Because they knew, they knew if they said, okay, um, we're going to get rid of a bunch of mid-level managers at some of these schools who are pulling in six figures. Well, people, and I'm, I'm not diminishing what those those people did, but people wouldn't get worked up about it. They'd say, okay, well, we probably got too many middle-level managers making six figures anyhow. Uh, who cares if they go? But you say, okay, you get rid of the high school football team, then people care a lot about it. I think that's what's going on here. And the the truth of the matter is that I, I think you need to put more resources into the police. Now, again, the other pressure that Barrett is getting is you've got some of these wacko groups in the city. There's one called, like, Liberate Milwaukee, who thinks the police get too much money. They, they want to take $20, $25 billion from the police department budget, and they want to put it into various social programs and things like that. All right, so if, if you do something like that, I don't know how many more officers you would lose. I understand it's a mess, and it is not a complete, the mess is not completely of the city of Milwaukee's making. I, I think, though, that trying to budget based on a hope 
that you're going to be allowed to raise taxes is a very, very difficult way to go. I also don't think the Common Council is going to stand for this. And so my guess is the ultimate budget is going to come out and it's going to have all sorts of different ways, kind of like when Chris Abley uh, initially he presented his initial budget and remember he was going to cut all these bus routes and we're going to get rid of the freeway flyers and all these types of things and then mysteriously when the metal meets the meat what ends up happening well they find the money to restore it my guess is that's what's going to happen but again big picture if i were in madison i i'd vote to let milwaukee decide if they want to tax themselves more and more my point is though by simply threatening we're going to cut police officer positions instead of, hey, maybe we're going to take some of the discretionary money we've got to, I don't know, that we're trying to consider to use to, like, operate the trolley. I I think the mayor hurts his overall position. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, at least if you shop on Amazon, you're not going to get into a fight, at least presumably not. Here is the story. Mayfair Mall, like other malls in the area, as a result of problems that they had had with youths, has a policy, or at least they had a policy that I didn't realize they had stopped. The policy at Mayfair, stated policy, says kids, guests, guests ages 17 and younger, must be accompanied by a parent or supervising adult age 21 or older after 3 p.m. on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So essentially you needed some form of adult supervision. They didn't want the mall to be a hangout place on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday afternoons after 3 o'clock. Unsupervised children and teens shopping before 3 p.m. on weekends are supposed to leave the mall by 3 p.m. or be joined by a parent or supervising adult after that time. In other words, the policy was that, you know, we, we don't want large groups of kids congregating in the mall on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday evening. It was a policy that they had implemented at Mayfair after candidly a whole bunch of problems and the policy said okay proof of age may be required and those without proper identification may be asked to leave the mall property all right so it's a policy that i think a lot of people supported over the time it's a policy that they adopted at other places it's similar to one that they used to have at bayshore town center now with all the changes that are going on i don't know if they still have it but it's it was a policy that tried to balance the rights of teenagers who are shopping with the interest of other people and, again, a concern that you didn't want the malls being taken over by large groups of young people, particularly on weekend evenings. All right, I thought that was the policy at Mayfair. Apparently, no, because apparently Mayfair, even though it is the policy, had decided without much fanfare to suspend that policy. In other words, we're... we're we're going to just ignore this. We'll, we'll see what happens. Well, I don't know if you saw this story, but uh, they had a huge problem on Saturday. Saturday evening, about 8.30 at night, you had a problem where the, it was so bad that police had to be dispatched to the mall following reports of people fighting with mall security. Apparently what happened, according to the Wauwatosa police, is you had a a large group of teenagers who were being disorderly and disruptive inside the mall. Security asked the people to leave. Several of the teenagers refused, 
and at that point fought with security. Once the police arrived, the people in the mall, the teenagers, then fought with police. All in all, about a 100 people were asked to leave Mayfair Mall after this fight broke out. The vast majority of people involved in the fight were, were teenagers. Six teens, that is six, not 16, but six teenagers were detained by the police, ranging in ages from 14 to 17. One 14-year-old and one 17-year-old were cited for disorderly conduct. Additional charges may be issued to others involved. Um, my guess is what happened is once the police showed up, at that point in time, you've got kids that are running, you've got kids that are fighting. My guess is you could have probably cited and or arrested 20, 30, 40, 50, but a lot of them probably got away. That That's my sense of this. Um, the police also say one woman who said she was pregnant was also detained by mall security. She was eventually transported to the hospital by the Wauwatosa Fire Department at her request. I assume that this woman who said she was pregnant was also probably part of the problem. In any event, it turns out that the reason that all these kids were allowed to congregate in the mall is that this policy that they have in place had been temporarily suspended with the idea of trying to decide, could we eliminate this? Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If Mayfair was thinking about eliminating this policy, I, I think what happened on Saturday at 8.30 at night probably gives them the best indication that there is an easy answer to this, and that answer is no, no way. 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I think this is unfortunate, but the truth of the matter is shopping centers, strip malls, malls have, you know, I mean, there's the struggles. You have consumers that are, you know, buying more and more stuff over the Internet and things like that. And and if, if shoppers or potential shoppers aren't going to feel safe, If potential shoppers are saying, you know, we'd like to go out to Mayfair Mall or Bayshore Town Center or Brookfield Square or wherever, and, gee, we'd really like to go out there and we're going to do some shopping on a Saturday evening or Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening, and your concern is, well, I'd love to go out there, but I don't want to be in the middle of something if you've got a 100 teenagers who have nowhere else to go who are hanging out. Most of them probably don't have much money to spend, and, gee, should we be surprised that something bad is going to happen? All right, 414-799-1620. Is Mayfair right to reinstitute this policy? And are you more likely to shop in a in a shopping center, in a shopping mall that has a policy like this where unaccompanied teenagers aren't going to be allowed there unescorted you know, after certain times, particularly on weekend evenings. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not going to criticize Mayfair for suspending their unaccompanied teen policy. I am going to say if they don't start vigorously enforcing it now that they've seen what happens, they're just asking for more trouble. 414-799-1620. All right, is something like this, does it make it more inclined? Are you more inclined to say, hey, all right, I, I think we can, I, I can go shopping on a Saturday night because I don't want to have to worry about running into a, a group of 50 or 60 or 70 kids who really 
All they're doing is looking for a place to kind of hang out. 414-799-1620. I think this policy, give them credit for trying to see if changing it would work. We now know the answer. You can't change it. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Touch the nerve with this one. 414-799-1620. Jeff, my wife and I attended a movie at Mayfair Mall. It was complete chaos. Teenagers were out of control. We actually walked out to the parking lot with a couple of cops. I love Mayfair Mall, but they clearly have a problem. Yes, this rule needs to be reinstituted. Jeff, you got to reinstitute this rule. I've seen kids thrown into glass display windows during fights with customers walking by on the other side of the glass. It's scary when 20 teenage girls go at each other and two mall cops are tasked to quell the melee. I love that word, melee. Jeff, I grew up in Wauwatosa, hung out at Mayfair with friends all the time. That being said, my friends and acquaintances didn't need this policy because we didn't cause any trouble. I'm glad Mayfair has reinstituted reinstituted it. If you can't hang out and act in a civil matter, well, you don't belong in a mall. 414-799-1620. I wonder if this is too late. Diane in Menominee Falls. Diane, good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Diane. I agree with your last caller. It's too little, too late. You know, when I have been there, which hasn't been for a very long time, I've seen the security guards look either like 12 or 80. I felt sorry for them because they truly don't look like they're geared to handle a bad crowd, which they seem to have too frequently. So I'm not going to go back to Mayfair, no matter what the new rules are. Okay, so you live in Menominee Falls. Where will you go to shop? Actually, I don't. No, I'm starting to hit the uh, Myers, the Walmart, okay, right. other places, not the upscale stores. And I'd love to shop at Macy's. Don't feel comfortable there. Got it. Okay, no, thanks for calling. That, that, see, that, that, that's fair. The, these malls are, in fact, and I, I say this all the time, stores, malls, etc. It is fragile. Look at what happened to Boston Store. You know, for decades, Boston Store was just this institution, and then, you know, tastes changed, and maybe they had some economic problems and all these things, and now the Boston Stores suddenly disappear. You, you look at the struggles that some shopping areas are going through. I mean, look at what's going on at the Bayshore Town Center now, where just a, a relatively few years after this new development, now they're trying to reimagine it and they're trying to get away from retail and all. Bottom line is people need to feel safe and they need to have a positive experience if they're going to leave their homes and go shopping. And, and I, I, I understand that if at all possible, you know, you want to be as inclusive as you possibly can. And if, if you want to have teenagers there, because teenagers have disposable income and teenagers shop and teenagers go to the movies. And I understand why you want to have them there. But at the same time, if you have large groups of, of kids, kids, you know, high school students who can't go anywhere else, who come out there and are looking to get into trouble, um, you're just what you do is you scare away the the rest of the, the clientele, and you know that's the last thing that shopping malls can do nowadays. So if Mayfair was trying to be broad and minded, let's let's see if we've been unfair to the kids, and let's see if we can reinstitute, we can do away with this policy. Let's try it out. Let's see if we have problems. Like I say, if you're thinking about doing that. Well, we now know the answer, and that is, no, you need to have these rules. And if you want to have the grown-ups, in all likelihood, the people that are going to be doing most of the spending, if you want to have them out at that mall, 
especially now that we're starting to move into the holiday shopping season, the last thing you want to have happen is people be afraid that if they come out on a Friday night or a Saturday evening, they're going to get caught up in a brawl with a 100 teenagers. So the simple answer is no teenagers unescorted. Might not sound fair to some people, but I think it's the only thing that you can do if you're trying to survive as a mall. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One of the aggravating things uh, about modern discourse, particularly if we're going to talk about politics, is the fact that we become so, so tribal and, and we approach stuff with just blinders on to the point that if you say something that is positive about President Trump, and somebody hears that, they say, oh, you're just a shill. How can you support anything this guy does? In contrast, if, especially as a conservative, you criticize something the president does, then you get this stuff, oh, you've jumped ship, go work for MSNBC. And it's just an aggravating thing to me because typically it doesn't matter who the president has been. It doesn't matter what party is in power. Nobody does stuff that I think everybody agrees with 100% of the time. There were things that President Bush did that I disagreed with. There were a lot of things that President Obama did that I disagreed with, but it doesn't mean that everything he did was wrong. In the era of Trump, we're now at a point where we, we don't see any sort of nuance at, at all, and, and it's either got to be all bad or all good. I don't subscribe to that because there's all sorts of things that I believe President Trump has done, and I think it's been extremely positive. And you're, you see that with the the median household income numbers. You see that with the fact that you have all these people working. You see the efforts to try to roll back all these government regulations that were unilaterally put into effect by President Obama. And, and, and I think Trump deserves credit for that. So I, you know, regardless of how you feel about him personally, I, I think this idea that everything he's done has been terrible, it, it just it's not sustainable. So, But having said that, the flip side of it is when he does stuff that is just, at least in my opinion, an absolute, complete and total disaster, it, we need to be able to comment on that as well. And that brings me to what is going on in Syria right now. I think it is fair to say not only is what has been happening in the last week a disaster, it is a disaster that was completely and totally, number one, predictable, and number two, avoidable. And it's a mess that it's almost amazing that the mess has gotten as bad as it has, as fast as it has. A lot of times with foreign policy, the United States will make a decision, and it it takes months or years before the full results and ramifications of that decision become known. So you, you can't really tell right away whether it's going to work out or not. Well, what is going on in Syria right now is a complete and total mess, at least in my opinion. And it is a mess that is laid squarely on the doorstep of President Trump. Now, for those of you who haven't been following this, let me just kind of give you the Reader's Digest version of what's going on. You have the Kurds, which is essentially a a stateless group of people who are set up and have been set up on the, the border between Syria and Turkey. 
The Kurds have for years been a U.S. ally in fighting ISIS. And thanks to the cooperation with what between the U.S. and the Kurds, what you have is that you have the, you know, ISIS essentially under control, not eliminated, but under control. All right. You have a U.S. military presence. There's like a thousand troops. And I'm not minimizing the fact that you've got a thousand. But compared to a lot of our other deployments, that's nothing. And they're there working with the Kurds, helping, again, maintain some sort of stability. All right. Turkey wants the Kurds out. Inside of Turkey, there is a a Kurdish group that the Turkish government considers to be terrorists. So they don't like the fact that there's other Kurds on the other side of their border. They have been wanting them out for years. The only thing that's been stopping them from moving the Kurds out is the fact that you've got the U.S. military people that are there. And Turkey didn't want to provoke a a full-fledged battle with, with the U.S. over this. So what apparently happens is the Turkish president calls up President Trump one day and says, I really want these guys gone. Uh, and President Trump says, OK, I tell you what, I'll, I'll move the U.S. troops out. Surprises pretty much everybody in the military and in government. And he pretty much orders a unilateral pullback of the troops. What does Turkey do? Well, Turkey ends up moving in and starts to eliminate these people along the border. They're going after the Kurds. So then. All right, what's already happened in just the last week is the Kurds who were keeping all these ISIS fighters as uh, as prisoners, they're now being freed. They're getting loose because the Kurds are trying to evacuate or whatever because you've got the Turkey military forces coming in. So you've got ISIS fighters who were now who were caught are now being released. You've got the Kurds who having been betrayed by the U.S. government, now they're starting to align with the Syrian government. And, of course, the U.S. considers the Syrian government to essentially be, well, the, the guy to be a, essentially a war criminal, but the Kurds are looking for some ally. You've got Russian troops that are now moving into areas abandoned by the U.S. troops, so now we have encouraged Russia to be a player there. The president is threatening sanctions against Turkey, out of the clear blue now saying, well, if you don't stop doing this, we're going to impose sanctions like you couldn't have made this clear earlier to make matters worse. There's 50 nuclear bombs. There's 50 nuclear weapons that are still inside Turkey. Turkey is supposedly a U.S. ally. Uh, now, what do we do with these? You know, they're, they're essentially being held hostage by the Turkish government right now. And by the way, you've got American troops that are pulling back, but they can't get out because Turkey is shelling and is shelling the, these areas. Uh, again, it's just a mess on so many different levels. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this is, number one, a disaster. And number two, it was just entirely avoidable on so many different levels. And you just kind of wonder what what was the president thinking if he was thinking anything when he made this decision. And I understand there was a campaign promise, you know, we want to get our troops back. And I understand that you, you we, we don't want American troops all across the world. But this is a relatively small deployment. And if you were going to pull them back, Shouldn't you have had guarantees in place and agreements in place and specific understandings and maybe treaties before you did this? 
instead of now, my gosh, we've got all this bloodshed, we've got this carnage, we've got ISIS fighters that are running through that have now been freed, and who knows what they're going to do. You've got the Russian influence that's there, and now you've got you know the Syrian president that's aligning with the Kurds. And by the way, nobody trusts us in that area anymore because, hey, you fight with the U.S., and then one day they're gone. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Chuck in Manitowoc. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon. Hi, Chuck. Uh, this is exactly the same thing that happened in Afghanistan in the 80s, where we were uh, yeah. backing the Mujahideen against the Soviet Union. Yeah, the whole Charlie Wilson's war thing, for people who've seen that right, movie exactly. or read the book. Yeah, And then that's exactly when we, when we stopped financing them and helping them, that's exactly where Osama bin Laden and the uh, Taliban came from. Right. So what are we going to have to deal with in, in another five years? You know, you, yeah. you got all the ISIS soldiers getting free, their families are getting free, and basically then the last 10 years was a waste. Yeah, and, and I guess... And I guess I look at this and I say, look, if, if I understand the goal of wanting to bring the U.S. troops home, I, I get it. I'm supportive of that. But then before you do that, don't you sit down and say, all right, we're, we're going to broker this deal. And, and here's the deal. Turkey, you're supposed to be our ally. And we want a firm agreement up front that, you know, once we pull out, you're not going to move in. And and then you, you try to broker some sort of arrangement between the Kurds and between Syria and between Turkey. You don't just kind of do this at the seat of your pants after having a phone call without thinking through the, the ramifications because we've seen what's happened and it, it's there's bloodshed, there's carnage, we're losing international prestige and we've bolstered the, the Russians and maybe even Iran who might move in there as well. I mean, it's just a stone-cold mess. Exactly. No, that, thanks right, for thank calling. You. Right, and again, and I'm, I, I, I appreciate the overall desire of let, let's. We've had troops there. Let's get them out. And I appreciate the point that you are making, which is. Again, the U.S. makes this mistake all the time. We, we go in, and he was referring to Afghanistan. If you've seen the movie Charlie Wilson's War or read the book, you know, it's, it's a relatively accurate thing. We go in, we support various groups as they're battling the Russians, all right? The Russians then retreat, and then we just decide, okay, we're going to pull out. We're not going to spend any money to rebuild schools. We're not going to do anything to try to help the people. We're just going to leave them. And then what happens is you create this vacuum, and that's where the Osana ben, Osama bin Ladens of the world move in. We continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is our number. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. I think this is the most moronic thing that he could have done. He said, "Well, we don't want to have troops uh, everywhere forever. Well, we've got troops in Germany, Japan, and South Korea for how many years?" Uh, yeah, I mean, since World War II or the end of the Korean War, absolutely. Yeah, right. And now ISIS will be back, and I have a son who's in the army, and he's going to be fighting these guys that all escaped. And um, I called the White House the other day, and I couldn't get through. But uh, to be honest with you, I've never considered this before, but this is starting to make me question my vote in 2020 if he does stupid things like this. Well, it, it's just such a, a knee-jerk reaction. And, and, again, a lot of times with foreign policy decisions, it takes years to figure out are they the right or the wrong decision. In this case, you, you 
really appear to have the president acting as a cowboy. I mean, the the Republican leadership didn't agree with this. The Democrats didn't agree with it. The military didn't agree with it. A lot of people, you know, the security people in the, inside the administration didn't agree with it. But he just kind of does it. And then, you know, all these things that are predictable are happening. Yeah, that's a scary situation when he doesn't listen to people that know more than he does. Well, well, right, and especially about a, a part of the world and this nuanced sort of thing. And again, I, I mean, look, you know, Jim, if you've got a son in the military, you you would probably rather have him closer to home. But but like you say, you know, big picture, he's we're going to probably have to refight at some point in time a battle that we had pretty much won because all these ISIS guys are going to be running through Syria, and God knows what they're going to do. Absolutely, and isn't that moronic? I, I th- thank, thanks for calling. I mean, I, again, I I'm not opposed to the idea of okay, we want to pull back the, the, the these troops, all right. But before you do that, don't you have to have some sort of firm agreement in place? All right, I mean, Turkey's supposed to be an ally. What did you think was going to happen? And so now, now the president's saying, well, I'm I'm going to use sanctions and I'm going to try to punish Turkey. Well. Okay, why why were, wasn't why didn't we understand what was going to happen in the first place? And yes, I am a little bit concerned about fifty nuclear weapons that are sitting in Turkey. So I mean, do we what, what do we say? Turkey's not an ally anymore. I mean, isn't this one of the things where if you want to get the U.S. troops back again, you sit down, you've got the Kurds who are allies, you've got the Turks who are apparently are allies, and you say, all right, this is the way it's going to be. We're going to broker some peace deal. You know, we're, we want to pull back our troops. You know, what do you need to have Turkey, Kurds, what do you need to have? And you have some sort of agreement in place instead of, hey, we're just pulling everybody back. And then what do you think's going to happen? And now you've got U.S. troops that are apparently pinned down because the Turks have destroyed a number of these roads. You can't get some of those troops out if you wanted to at this point in time. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Freddie in Milwaukee. Freddie, you're on WTMJ. Oh, thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Sure. Hey, listen, I think we're really in deep doo-doo now because, I, I know, contrary to your beliefs, I like to listen to NPR news. Okay. Because you get reporters from different countries giving their viewpoints. And from what I hear now is that uh, that the Russians are really making a big presence in that area. Yes, the Russians have moved in. The stories today are that some of the American base camps that had to be abandoned, like with no notice at all, that now you've got the Russians that are moving into those. I mean, why why would we want to give the Russians more power, more credence, and a bigger foothold in that part of the world? Why would we want to do that, Freddie? Okay, now listen here. Also, I heard that Putin is visiting Saudi Arabia, and he's getting the royal treatment over there. Okay. Okay. And then I also heard that Israel is even holding some talks now with Russia. Well, I, I you know, I, I just what did I see that we're we're sending you know, we're we're sending more troops to Saudi Arabia. I think something like that was announced in the last couple of days. I mean, thanks again. I, I, I just, I, I appreciate the goal of wanting to pull out. But don't you have to have some sort of exit strategy beyond, hey, we're, we're just going to leave? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Stephen in Milwaukee. Stephen, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I guess I uh, respectfully disagree with okay. you on this one. Tell uh, me why. Uh, I, I think there's never a good time to pull out. Um, I, I think it's interesting that the people that are mostly, most of the people I see that are really opposed to a pullout right now, 
are the same people I remember cheering on uh, the invasion to Iraq, which I think was one of the biggest blunders in American history. And uh, there's also a lot of people on the left that are opposing it right now, too, which I think is really ironic, where they're super concerned about protecting these borders while trying to open up our own. I think um, illegal immigration poses a way bigger threat in our own country than ISIS does, okay? And there's always going to be a window of chaos when we pull out, there's never going to be a good time. But I, in my opinion, we've just wasted too much blood and treasure over there. Well, but again, you're, you know, we're we're talking about a relatively small deployment. And do, do you understand, I guess, do you think it's fair for people to say this is being viewed worldwide as a betrayal of, of allies? You know, you had the Kurds that were fighting with us and, and they were they were taking the laboring war in, in fighting, you know, ISIS in that part of the world and, and they sustained a, a lot of the, the the casualties that otherwise, you know, it might have been US troops that, that had to sustain. And now all of a sudden we're pulling them out and letting them be massacred by the Turks. Can you understand how that would be viewed as betraying allies of ours? Uh certainly. I I, I do get that. But mm-hmm. another thing to keep in mind is our history with the Kurds is pretty flawed. They have mm-hmm. betrayed us on a, on a few key occasions, and I the, the Kurds have never helped to help. The Kurds aren't dying to protect our borders. Okay, why are we dying to protect theirs? It's just it's but, just ludicrous to me. Well, okay, thanks. For, well, I guess we we weren't up until we pulled out. We weren't dying to protect their borders. So the, the U.S. military presence was there. We were helping them fight. ISIS, not fight Turkey. It's the now Turkey's been wanting to move in and eliminate the Kurds, and the only thing that apparently has been stopping them is the fact that you'd have U.S. troops that were there, not for the purpose of necessarily protecting the Kurds, but fighting ISIS, um, a, a fight that I guess a lot of us still don't think is is over. I, I again, I, I I look at this. I understand the idea that you want to have troops come back. I I, I get it. But and I appreciate the whole notion of America first and, you know, why should we care about what happens in the Middle East? Well, we should care about what happens in the Middle East because we don't want Russia gaining act. We don't want Russia gaining any more influence than it already has. Do we? Um, We don't want Iran to become more of a regional power. We don't want ISIS fighters to get a foothold so they can use a foothold in Syria to launch attacks against other allies of ours like Israel or God forbid another repeat of 9-11. I, I guess I just think that this was done in a, a very, very poor fashion, and I, I think that there are going to be long-term ramifications of it. And candidly, regardless of what you think about the president, what the president thinks about his understanding of world affairs, somebody, sometimes, just sometimes, you're not always the smartest person in the room. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So Hunter Biden, the son of vice former Vice President Joe Biden, speaks this morning. He says, well, I just I I, I did this stuff. I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm I'm, I'm really sorry because I, I I regret the fact is who knew that people like Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump were going to come around and try to use this against my father. Well, let me just say this at the outset. I don't think there's anything. I'm not one of these guys that goes down the conspiracy route. I don't think there's anything illegal in what Hunter Biden did. 
but that doesn't make it right. You know, the, going back to the Bill Clinton years, when, when it came to trading on your, your contacts, the, the Clinton rule was essentially, if it's not illegal, it's okay, which, which I think we, we need to be better than that. And I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. I, I don't care, you know, who your father is, is or who your mother is. I think we need a better standard of, well, gee, it's not illegal, so it must be okay. Because just because it's not illegal doesn't make it right. Now, let me try to simplify this whole Hunter Biden stuff. All right, 2014 in the Ukraine. And we've talked a lot about the Ukraine over the last several weeks. In the Ukraine, there is a revolution. And the the head of the Ukraine, the president of the Ukraine, is overthrown. All right? So there is a new government coming in. And after that happens, a number of the cronies of the former president start getting themselves investigated for corruption and things of the like. One of those cronies is a guy named Mikola Zyuchevsky, and he, um, he, his company was something called Burisma Holdings, which is the largest natural gas producer in the Ukraine. This guy is an oligarch. He's worth billions of dollars, and he's being investigated for money laundering um, and, and criminal behavior as a result of his ties to the, the former regime, all right? Now, keep in mind, Joe Biden is the vice president of the United States. In an effort, well, I, I mean, I guess that's kind of up in the air now. So what this oligarch does, he's under investigation. He, he's in a little bit of trouble because you've got the, the new government that's come in. And, and I, you know, everybody's probably somewhat crooked in that area of the world. So what the oligarch decides to do is they decide to assemble a high-profile international board in response to these investigations, which, in other words, let's cut through this. It means they go out and they try to bring in influential people or people with connections to influential people who, I don't know, might help smooth over the rough edges. So one of the things that they do is in 2014, they reach out and they find Hunter Biden, who is the son of the vice president, who's had a relatively undistinguished sort of career as as a lobbyist and then as a lawyer. And they bring him on to this board. They pay him up to $50,000 a month, up to $50,000 a month in compensation for being on this this board. And of course, you know, keep in mind, so now he's on the board of directors of this Ukrainian energy company that's under investigation for all these shenanigans. And Joe Biden is at the time the vice president. And, you know, he's playing a major role in U.S. policy towards the Ukraine. All right. And okay, so you've got the whole thing just stinks. I'm not saying it's illegal, but but it just it just absolutely stinks because at the very least it creates the appearance of a conflict of interest and it serves to undermine then vice president biden's anti-corruption work that you know you're trying to clean up all this mess in the ukraine meanwhile your son is pulling in $50,000 a month 
for being on the board of directors of this, this company that might have been up to its neck in corruption. Now, I, again, I don't, I don't think there's any evidence of a crime here. And, and candidly, I think, you know, that for the last couple of years, the Justice Department's been looking into this. I don't think there's evidence of a crime. But at the very least, it has the what we used to call the appearance of impropriety and certainly a conflict of of interest. But the kid doesn't care about it because the kid is making $50,000 a month for what my guess is is probably largely a figurehead role. But he's there, let's face it. And, and I think... He acknowledged today in this interview he gave with uh, ABC News that if his name hadn't been Biden and he hadn't been the son of the vice president, he wouldn't have gotten put on that board. And you know what? He's absolutely right. Now, this doesn't make it criminal, but it does, again, demonstrate the type of, I don't know, would-be influence and peddling that that goes on. And I understand there's some people that are listening to me right now who are saying, well, this is is no different than, you know, Trump's kids. Maybe so. You know, maybe so. But Hunter Biden, let's be honest, Hunter Biden gets this $50,000 a month gig on the board of directors of this arguably crooked company in the Ukraine, arguably, because, you know, he's got ties. His dad is the vice president of the United States. And again, it's just a mess. It's a conflict of interest, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Hunter Biden says, well, you know, he goes on ABC today and says he used poor judgment when he decided to join the board of the Ukrainian energy company. He says that, you know, he he didn't discuss his work in the Ukraine with his father other than one instance in which Joe told him, I hope you know what you're doing. Now, first of all, I, I, I was watching this this morning with a couple people. Nobody believes that. I mean, there, there's nobody that believes that he's getting 50 grand a, a month on this board of directors and that there's never any discussion between he and his father about what's going on. And again, I'm I'm not suggesting that Joe Biden took it easy on this company or did something because of the son, but you have created this appearance of impropriety that's there. He's angry because, again, now this has become an issue that's being used against his father. And he says, well, I just I regret I, I did this. I take full responsibility. Did I do anything improper? No, not in any way, not in any way whatsoever. Well, come on. He profited from his father's name and his father's connections. Does that make Joe Biden a crook? No, it, it doesn't. Does it make Hunter Biden a crook? Not necessarily, but it makes him one of these many people who's willing to use his access to power, in this case his famous part, his famous father, to make himself hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year that he otherwise wouldn't have come close to getting. All right. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So Hunter Biden has now spoken. There's a Democratic debate tonight. You know that this is going to be the subject of at least some of the questioning. Joe Biden, who was the prohibitive favorite a couple months ago, now is probably running second to Elizabeth Warren. The kid is now out acknowledging, yeah, I was on there. Maybe I used some poor judgment, but I'm really a victim of Donald Trump. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this going to hurt Joe Biden? And how badly will this hurt Joe Biden? 414-799-1620. 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because the best case, the best spin you put on this, at least in my opinion, is that you had a kid who decided that he was going to try to use his famous name and his famous father as a way to enrich himself. I think that's the most charitable way that you can look at this. And he did it for a number of years. Is that going to hurt, Joe? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Tina in Milwaukee. Hi, Tina. Hi. How are you today, Jeff? I am well, thank you. What do you think? You know, I appreciate the fact that you are very kind of, not very adamant. I understand that Hunter did something that may be unprofessional or um, unethical. Yeah. Unethical, maybe. But you got Trump's kids, too, and I think you need to talk about that a little bit more. It's not fair to just lump hunter in when you don't discuss the fact that trump's kids have made money well i mean the fact that trump's names and his presidency well i mean and it's not it's not just trump's kids and it's not hunter Biden. just hunter biden this this goes back you you have the whole this goes back to the clintons you know you had the whole clinton cash thing where you know when hillary was the secretary of state you'd have all these foreign governments and dignitaries that were paying exorbitant fees for speaking fees and all. No, it's an ongoing problem. And like I say, I don't think it's illegal. I, I, I think you could argue maybe this stuff should be illegal. But let me ask you this, Tina. Do you think this is going to hurt Joe Biden? No, I don't. I don't necessarily think this is going to hurt Joe Biden. I am definitely a Democrat. Mm-hmm. But right now... I don't know who to vote for. There is nobody that is standing out. They're fighting amongst themselves so much, we're going to lose. Yeah, yeah. And I'm afraid. I'm sorry, but I agree with other people. This whole Middle East issue with Turkey and the Kurds, it's scary. It it, it is. No, it's a mess. No, no, thanks to Kalti. I mean, look, I I guess I, I... you know, and we we can have other discussions about whether the Trump kids are, and, and that that's one of Hunter Biden's thing. He says, "Well, why are they picking on me? Because you got some of these Trump kids who are engaging in these businesses and trading on their father's name." And the answer is yes, they are. I, I mean that that's that's the case. They, they are. And like I say, that this is a problem. It goes back. You it really. I'm not saying that this never happened before, but really it, it was the Clintons that raised this into an art form. The idea that Hillary is the Secretary of State, so you know we're going to take massive fees and don- massive speaking fees and massive donations to the Clinton Foundation from all these foreign nationals who are you know trying to agitate for business dealings and all. And and again, whether it's a crime or not isn't the point. It, it's that the whole thing you know ends up ends up stinking um uh and and i think i'm getting a ton of texts on this um i guess i i sort of look at it and and i just how much is this going to hurt him i i don't know but the truth is it it is in fact you know going to hurt him there's just no no doubt about it uh here's a text yes it's jeff it's going to hurt him um by the way he's, he's not a kid nor was a kid at the time both he and his father knew what he was doing um jeff the issue here is that you only get these jobs if your last name is biden or clinton or trump not if your last name is wagner or smith it'll hurt biden how much is yet to be determined yeah i think 
I think that's the case. And, and this is where I think it, it affects Joe Biden, because you do have this image that's out there and and it's created by President Trump about, hey, I want to come in and I want to drain the swamp. Now, I understand that there are people who say not only has he not drained the swamp, but he's made it worse by putting some of his cronies in. And what about his kids and all that type of stuff? So I, I understand that's out there. But you can't look at your, your having your son who is, for all intents and purposes, unqualified for this particular position, who is suddenly elevated to a $50,000 a month gig on a board of directors of some Russian, of some Ukrainian oligarch who is under investigation for corruption at the same time the U.S. in an investigation being led by the vice president of the United States who happens to be, you know, that's your son that's now on the board, is supposed to be responsible for cleaning up corruption. Again, I don't allege a crime was committed here, but it, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't pass the smell test, and we all kind of know what went on. And the idea that, no, I'm on the board while my father's doing this, and we never, ever discussed anything, I think that's tough to get people to believe. Now, it's complicated. It took me five to ten minutes to explain this, and I was trying to make it as simple as possible. So I, I guess, you know, is this going to necessarily resonate? Will people understand all the nuances? Maybe not. But at the same time, for people who are looking to separate from President Trump and are looking for an alternative, yeah, I, I think this is something that, that's going to hurt Joe Biden. I agree with one of our texters. How much it hurts Joe Biden is yet to be determined. Um, but it, it will be interesting to watch the Democratic debate tonight. Matter of fact, I think I'm... I, I haven't in the past. I am going to watch it tonight because, number one, I want to see how this issue plays out. And number two, now that Elizabeth Warren is starting to emerge as the front runner, I want to see if the gloves come off and people actually do start pressing her on, you know, all right, you, you want to have Medicare for all. How exactly are you going to pay for this? I, I'm curious as to whether or not the gloves are going to come off. Um, so I think I'm going to be watching it. It's going to be great political theater. This is Jeff Wagner. And I, I think you're starting to see this now. I said this about a week or so ago when we were talking about it. If I was the president of the United States and somebody like Rudy Giuliani, you know, came into the Oval Office and wanted to work for me, I would kind of, you know, put the hand up in the air and say, Rudy, I appreciate all your support. Thanks a lot. You know, we'll talk when I leave office. They should have thrown him out of the office the first day he showed up instead of embracing him. I think if the president had done that, he might not be in as much trouble as he is in now. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Maybe sometimes it is best to just shut up and dribble. Remember that was the big thing a year or two ago? You had these NBA players who were speaking out aggressively on social justice issues and they were getting some blowback. And the, the big line was, well, you know, what do you, what do you think? We should just like shut up and dribble. We have the right to express ourselves and we see things going on in this country that we believe are horrible and we want to stand up and don't allow us to shut up and dribble. Well, LeBron James, everybody knows LeBron James, arguably the most famous basketball player in the world, uh, now. Certainly, I think you can make a strong argument that over the last 10-plus years, he has been the best basketball player in the world. You can even make an argument that maybe he's the best basketball player ever. I understand you get into the debate with, you know, 
players like Michael Jordan and things alike. But LeBron James is, by any stretch of the imagination, the real deal. He now plays for the Los Angeles Lakers. Last week, Los Angeles was in China to play a preseason game. And we've, we've of course, spoken about you know everything that's been going on with China. Everybody knows the story. The Reader's Digest version is China is a very, very populated country, most populated country in the world. It is a huge financial resource. The U.S., you have all these U.S. businesses that are that do business with China because they've got just a ton of people. China is an incredibly repressive totalitarian regime. Um, I mean, it is. I mean, it is the the strict definition of like a repression. It is government. The government controls anything and everything. There is no freedom of speech in China. It does not exist. There is you no know, government run media. There is no dissent that is allowed. And in China, you you toe the line or you go to prison. All right, Hong Kong which was a British-controlled protectorate for years and years, reverted in 1997, I want to say, to the control of China. But the deal is Hong Kong stays autonomous for 50 years. That's what the arrangement was. Well, recently, Hong Kong, despite that agreement, has been, despite that agreement, China has been, trying to exert more and more control over freedoms that currently exist in Hong Kong that don't exist anywhere else in China. And without going into too much detail, that's led to a lot of protests. Lots of people in Hong Kong, including lots of young people, are standing up and saying, hey, we, we want we want democratic values and we want freedom of speech and, and we want open trials and we want the ability to communicate with each other and Hong Kong has been cracking down on that and that's why you've seen a number of the demonstrations you've seen the protesters you know wearing the masks and, and you've heard all about it so it, it's this is a situation where you have protesters in Hong Kong who are standing up for their rights and for human rights and it's something that you would think that everybody in this country regardless of whether you're on the right or the left that you would be supporting and particularly if you are progressives in this country if you're the liberals you 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 want to side with Hong Kong because again this is this repressive government that is trying to crack down well the problem of course is that the Hong Kong, the China government, you know, is worth a lot of money. And there's lots of contracts and there's a lot of American businesses that do business with China. And they know that if you do anything which upsets the Chinese government in any way, shape or form, you run the risk of having these business dealings terminated. So what happens is a week or two ago, the general manager of the Houston Rockets, a guy named Daryl Morley, who is uh, Daryl Morey, who is um North, North, he's a graduate of Northwestern and MIT, smart guy. He's a general manager. He sends out what is really a relatively benign tweet. The tweet says, fight for freedom, stand for Hong Kong. So what happens is the Chinese government goes absolutely nuts. How dare, how dare this employee, and he's, that's what he is. He, he's not like he's the president of the NBA. He's not like he's the commissioner. How dare this person say, you know, fight for freedom, stand for Hong Kong. And what happens is the Chinese government does what it typically does. It tries to quash any 
any spirit of, of rebellion at all. So what they do is they say, okay, we're not going to show these NBA games that were scheduled to be played here. We're not going to show them on state TV. We were going to have like this fan fest. We're going to cancel that. We're not going to have state TV do interviews with these players. But we, you know, ultimately decide to allow the games to, to go on. All right. So that's the backdrop of this. And a bit belatedly, but finally, the NBA, the commissioner comes out and says, you know, we're, we're here for freedom of speech. And, um, you know, we're, they ultimately defend this statement. All right, into this mix, last night, Wade's LeBron James, who's now back after, you know, he, he's, he and his teammates flew over on their chartered flight last week and spent five days in a high-end hotel in Shanghai, and now they're back. And he decides, LeBron James, to wade into this. So this is what he says. He says, I'm not here to judge how the league handled the situation. I just think that when you are misinformed or you're not educated about something, and he's talking about the Houston Rocket, the guy that tweeted, fight for freedom, stand for Hong Kong. When you're misinformed or you're not educated about something, and I'm just talking about the tweet itself, you never know the ramifications that can happen. We all see what that did, not only for our league, but for all of us in America, for people in China as well. Sometimes you have to think through the things you say because they may cause harm not only for yourself, but for the majority of people. And I think that's just a prime example of that. Hmm. You shouldn't tweet if you're uneducated um, about something or you're misinformed. And, of course, the tweet is, fight for freedom, stand for Hong Kong. So LeBron James gives this press conference where he says that, and the response is pretty quick and pretty damning, going, wait a second, you're, you're this big liberal who speaks about, like, social progressive issues like that, and, you know, you're the one who's now criticizing the guy and saying he's misinformed or uneducated on something? What's going on? And then he takes to Twitter after he starts getting some, you know, bad press. He says, my team in this league just went through a difficult week. Yeah, he, he, he flew on the super chartered flight over to Shanghai and stayed in the five-star hotel for a few days to play a basketball game. But my team in the league just went through a difficult week. I think people need to understand what a tweet or statement can do to others. And I believe nobody stopped and considered what would happen. He could have waited a week or two to send it. So in other words, he's saying, gee, this inconvenienced me because you hacked off the Chinese government. You should really have timed this better um, than expressing the fact that you you stand with these people who are being gassed and shot at and all these other things because they want to stand up for freedom. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Has LeBron James damaged his image? I, for one, and I think he's a great basketball player, I, for one, am never going to be able to look at him in the same way. Because this is this idea that, well, you're uneducated or you're misinformed. And, gee, it would have been more convenient for me 
if you would have you know held off on sending this relatively benign tweet because well we don't want to upset china when i'm going over there and by the way i have you know millions of dollars tied up in sneaker deals all right you, you can't be a civil rights advocate in the united states and be this kind of mealy-mouthed about something else that's going on. Did LeBron James hurt himself? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Here's some text before we go to the calls. Yes, LeBron has damaged his reputation. It is the ultimate double standard. Yes. Jeff, I find it hypocritical that LeBron James gets upset when people tell him to shut up and dribble, yet he essentially tells the Rocket general manager to shut up and general manage. Not only that, but, gee, I don't want you to have, you know, uninf- misinformed or uneducated comments. Okay, the comment being... All right, you know, fight for freedom, stand up for Hong Kong. I think everybody would agree that that is that that far from being uneducated or misinformed, right? That the the people in Hong Kong who are standing up to the repressive totalitarian regime in China, they're they're the freedom fighters. I mean, they're not the bad guys here. Now, of course, they don't control LeBron James sneaker contracts, so maybe it's different. Jeff, it was Laura Ingram that suggested that LeBron shut up and dribble rather than speak out on every social issue. Seems that the big money China NBA relationship finally gagged him and his woke pals, including Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich. There is something to that. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Lewis on the south side. Hi, Lewis. Yeah, I'm with you, Jeff. Um LeBron needs to get educated himself. Um, the people in China do not have the freedom to be on Twitter, so they never saw this tweet. They weren't offended. The Chinese government was offended, um, and they don't want you sticking their nose into what they're doing to the poor people of Hong Kong who have my absolute heart. I feel uh, terrible that people that have lived under freedom are going to be oppressed and, and put under a communist rule. I yeah. couldn't imagine what that's like. And uh, right, and, th- and then the notion that, well, okay, that the comment was misinformed or uneducated, and then it- it's also the timing. I mean, that this that this statement caused me some inconvenience. So, you know, yes, he was going to stand. If he was going to stand up for the freedom of Hong Kong, he should have waited three weeks to do it. Because, gee, I might have. I had to hang out in my luxury hotel, and I got personal appearances canceled. What? What what is this guy thinking? Well, we know what he's thinking. He's thinking it's all about me. Yes, I, I agree with you, and and I really feel bad for LeBron too because I thought he's done a lot of things right as, as you know yep. starting out so young and, and bringing his friends along. Um, but this is he doesn't understand what he's talking about, I guess, and and I just feel heartbroken. Yeah, no, th- thanks. And it was, in, and then you know, again, you know, once he said what he said, and then he was immediately, you had this huge backlash that came out. Then it's like, well, you have to understand, my team in this league just went through a difficult week. Um, you know, I they should have stopped and considered what would happen. I mean, imagine, imagine saying that. Well, well, gee, let let's take let's take some other social issue where. I don't know. You you have I I don't know some situation in this country where uh, something happens and the the person's civil rights are just being trampled on and you feel strongly about it. Would you say, hey, LeBron, you know, you're supposed to play a, an NBA game in this particular community where this thing happened. Do you, do you think that maybe you should wait two or three weeks before you criticize the community? And of course, the reaction, well, that's nuts. We don't do that. But you know, when it's China and when it's wealthy NBA basketball players, I, again, I. 
like the idea. Their their wokeness kind of takes a, a back seat. Jeff on the south side. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Although I did lose some respect for LeBron James. Well, I never had a... Well, <laughs> I won't even go there. That's bullshit. But, you know, here's the impression I'm getting from, and not just LeBron, but from the league and, and from the silence from the usual suspects in the league. Yep. The impression I'm getting is that the only civil liberties that matter to these people are those of black basketball players. Like, the civil rights of nobody else seems to matter at this point. Well, they sure don't seem the civil, the, the, the freedom of speech and the freedom of choice certainly don't seem to matter to at least some of these players in Hong Kong if it runs afoul of maybe costing them some, some money in shoe contracts, right? Well, it just shows you their true color is just green. It's, it's all about the money. Well, I mean that—that's I think. Uh, 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 and and again, it's it's not you know it's it's not just LeBron James. The reaction to this has come, and it's not just like black basketball players. Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors, who has been like him or not, I mean, he's been one of these guys. There, there hasn't been a social justice issue in this country that Steve Kerr hasn't decided that he wanted to articulate his opinion on. Well, now he's quiet about this one. Well, no, so, so let the repressive regime go on. Same thing with Greg Popovich, you know, the uh, coach of the, the San Antonio Spurs. You know, he, this is a guy who's, who's felt no compunction at all about commenting on any sort of social justice things he feels like, and that's fine. You know, he's entitled to do it. The league has encouraged him to do that. But these guys are all now conspicuously silent when when it comes to something that might cost them some money. And I guess I, I just you can't have it both ways. And this is in this particular case, LeBron James should have just kept his opinions to himself because I think it has demonstrated that he's that this this incredible hypocrite. Now, are people going to care in Los Angeles if he goes back and starts scoring 30 points a game and leads them to the NBA championship? No. Does this mean that he's still not a great basketball player and he hasn't been a great basketball player for, you know, years and years? No. It doesn't mean any of that, but it does mean that that maybe some of these guys well, can quickly get beyond their depth and should think through what they're going to say and should maybe recognize that if you're going to stand up for social justice causes, well, maybe you have to do that even if it's going to cost you some money because the truth is LeBron James probably has more money than he, his kids, his grandkids, his great-grandkids, and his great-great-grandkids can ever spend. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, let's lighten it up. It's been a lot of heavier topics on today's show. That's just kind of the way it works out. Here's my question. Saturday, Sunday, or Thursday? What are we talking about, Jeff? Well, in, oh, about a week and a half to two weeks, there's going to be something that for some people is one of their favorite times of the year, and that would be Halloween. Halloween is October 31st. That is the day of Halloween. And along with Halloween comes trick-or-treating, where you have all the little ghosts and goblins that go through the neighborhoods, and they, they accumulate candy. In most of our, at least in the immediate listening area, and we'll just, I'm going to talk about Milwaukee County and Ozaki County and Washington County, and I understand that there's others as well. That people, people, Heck, I mean, we got people listening to us in Anchorage, Alaska. But typically... There, there's one of two things that, that happens. As a general rule, now I am looking through 
the trick-or-treat times that are scheduled. Now, Halloween this year, October 31st, falls on a Thursday. The vast majority of communities in our immediate listing area have scheduled trick-or-treating for Sunday, October 27th. Um, For example, Bayside, um, 1 to 4 p.m. on Sunday. Brown Deer, um, 1 to 4 p.m. Fox Point, 1 to 4 p.m. Hales Corners, 4 to 7 on Sunday. Oak Creek, 4 to 6. You've got two hours that gets out there. The vast majority, though, again, Milwaukee, Sunday, 1 to 4. So the vast majority of communities, it is on that Sunday. Same thing is true in Ozaki County, the vast majority are on Sunday, typically either in the afternoon or in the evening. Cedarburg, uh, okay. Then there's a couple of communities. Cedarburg, for example, being one. Theirs isn't Sunday the 27th. Rather, it's Saturday the 26th. So they've got their trick-or-treating scheduled for Saturday. Bayview in Milwaukee County, Saturday, October 26th, 5 to 8 p.m. Cudahy, Saturday, October 26th, 5 to 7 p.m. All right, so you would notice that, and again, it goes through to, as I'm looking at Waukesha County, you're looking in uh, Washington County as well, vast majority of trick-or-treat hours, either Saturday or on Sunday. And then there are a couple of exceptions. For example, Heartland, um, in Waukesha County, trick-or-treating is actually the night of Halloween, scheduled Thursday, October 31st, from 6 to 8 p.m. Menominee Falls, Thursday, October 31st, 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. Muskego, October 31st, 6 to 8 p.m. Um, you get the idea, but that's the communities that are holding trick-or-treating on the evening of Halloween, that Thursday evening, are definitely in the minority. As I go through the South Milwaukee, Thursday, October 31st, 530 to 730, I think um, South Milwaukee is the only community in Milwaukee County that's actually doing Halloween trick-or-treating on Halloween, at least as scheduled. Ozaki County, I don't think there's anybody that's doing it. And again, just a handful of this. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I understand that I'm kind of a dinosaur when it comes to this. I, I get that. But when I was a kid, back in the day, in Glendale, you went out after school on Halloween. If Halloween fell on a weeknight, what you did is the trick-or-treating hours were like 5.30 to 7.30. That, that's, that's maybe it was 6 to 8, I don't know. But you'd go home from school, you'd get on your costume, you'd get ready, and, and, and then you would go out. You would do it, number one, at night. And number two, you would do it uh, again on the day of Halloween itself. Now, I understand we've gotten away from that because... Well, you know, we, we, we don't want to do it in the evening, so we, we have to do it on the day, and we have to do it like on a Sunday afternoon. But, you know, I think, candidly, part of Halloween, part of the fun is going out when it's dark. Going out four or five days before Halloween in the middle of the afternoon when it's light, I think that takes a lot of the fun out of the event. 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, can, can I get an amen? Would you prefer trick-or-treating be held when I think it used to originally be te- intended to be held, which is in the evening on Halloween? Or, all right, well, Jeff, you got to understand it's safer this way and things like that. And, you know, we don't want bad stuff happening to the kids. I get all that. Okay, but does that mean that you can't trick-or-treat on Halloween and you can't do it in the evening? 414-799-1620. All right, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I admit... I am a traditionalist. When it comes to Halloween trick-or-treating, I think it should be on the day of Halloween, and I think it should be in the evening. Let's start with Colleen in Milwaukee. Hi, Colleen. Hi. What do you think? Um, I think that it does take away from it. I I haven't personally gone uh, trick-or-treating at night as a kid. Um, Never? You've never gone trick-or-treating at night? Oh, um, I, I and I'm not sure if it's just because I'm too young because I don't remember having trick or treating at night. But um, in the area we live in Milwaukee, and I grew up there all my life, so I don't remember doing it in our area. Um, I think that if parents were to take their kids and actually walk with them mm-hmm. instead of just saying, "Okay, go ahead and go out trick or treating," I think it would be a different story. Well, you know, I guess that, I mean, maybe, Colin, I guess my experience has been nowadays that that there's all there's almost always a parent that, that's with the kids or the group of kids. I mean, I, I guess I don't I don't know that there's too many parents out there that just like say to the kids, go out and run the streets. Maybe that happens. I, I just I don't see that. Normally, there's almost always a parent because I, I guess if you're concerned, if the concern is that somebody can come and snatch the kid. Um, that that can happen at two o'clock in the afternoon as easily as it can happen at seven o'clock at night. Most definitely now, yes. But w- growing up, when we were kids, we went in our neighborhood yeah. during the day, and we were able to just run around and go trick or treating. Yeah. And not my parents didn't necessarily have to worry about us getting snatched up. Or I mean, we still checked our candy, we still sure. did all of that. But um, I think nowadays parents should be with their kids and i still see some kids just running around like my parents live up in brown deer and um we we would go in that neighborhood and we would see kids running all over the place and we're like where's the parents yeah no interesting i mean right but again and i don't disagree with that but i I guess if, if the concern is child safety as a general rule if that's the concern you're afraid that you know somebody's going to come and snatch a kid up you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, maybe arguably it's a little easier if it's at night. But still, you, you know, an unattended child at, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon could could be on a Saturday, could be taken just as easily as an unattended child at 5.30 on, say, a Thursday night. 414-799. I just think it's cooler I just I, and more fun to do it on Halloween and to do it at night. Julie in Milwaukee. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I agree. I agree with you totally. I mean... It adds something to it by having it at night. And, you know, I see a lot of decorations out and people have, you know, lights up and pumpkins and everything. It, you know, I'm 58 and we had it many times um, at night. And, and I understand that it's different now, too. But even these last couple of years um, that I've handed out, there's always a parent with somebody. So 
But right. no, I totally agree. I think it adds a lot to it. And I'm actually, I live in um, Milwaukee now, and I was actually excited to see today that Milwaukee's doing it at night for two hours. It's the first time that I've, since I've lived here and bought my house. And it's, it's you know, okay, actually, all right, wait, Milwaukee's doing it at night, you say? I thought so. I mean, I, I thought it said Milwaukee on Halloween night, five to seven, maybe. No, I don't, oh, uh, no, no, okay, are you in the city of Milwaukee? Yeah. No, City of Milwaukee, Sunday, October 27th, 1 to 4. Oh, jeez. Oh, I might leave when I looked it up. I, oh, darn. I, at least that's what my, I mean, I, that's yeah. the story I have. The, matter of fact, oh. the only the only community in Milwaukee County that's doing it at night on 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 Thursday is South Milwaukee. They're on October 31st, 530 oh. to 730. There are a couple, Bayview is doing it that Saturday night, the 26th, from 5 to 8 p.m. Cudahy's doing it 5 to 7 p.m., So, but they're doing it on Saturday, not oh, Sunday. Geez, I must have re- but, you know, but why doesn't Milwaukee and the other places go along with it? And I think it's just perfect. And, you yeah. know, just for a couple hours, like I said, it, I think it adds a lot for the, for the kids. Well, we the used to have fun. Now, again, I, I'm, thanks. For, I mean, see, I'm with you. I mean, our trick-or-treating was in the immediate neighborhood. So, and, and I, like, I also understand, I, mean, I didn't have this knock, Norman Rockwell upbringing, but I, it, there were fewer concerns out there. But again, it's, I, if I had kids or for, if, you know, I, my, my grandkids were trick-or-treating, I, I wouldn't just let them, it didn't matter whether it was three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon or seven o'clock on a Thursday night. I, I'm not just going to let them run the neighborhood without there being some adult that was kind of at least hanging back and, and sort of watching that because if you're concerned with stuff happening it could happen at, at any time 414-799-1620 let's talk to um let's see jamie and keel hi jamie you're on wtmj hi jeff thanks for taking my call. sure um up here in keel you know i have to agree with you and a lot of the callers doing it on halloween is absolutely amazing it's so fun when i was younger and lived in sheboygan we always did it on halloween and it was at nighttime but here in keel they kind of do a really cool little thing they have a carnival throughout the day up at the middle school and then they do trick-or-treating from four until six so okay. they do get a little bit of like a little spooky time when it starts getting dark right. and i just think that's kind of fun so kids you know they don't have to feel rushed to come home from school and get their homework done and you know, then they can kind of enjoy the day. So, I mean, I guess those are just my thoughts. That's just what we do up here. And no, but but you but but kids. but the idea that you know, there's a little bit of after dark because that that's kind of the. I think that's part of the fun of of Halloween. Now, is it is it maybe a little bit more inconvenient for people to pass out candy and stuff? I mean, I mean, I understand why you do it on a Sunday afternoon at two o'clock because then you know people are presumably home, et cetera, and you can build around it. But it's just not the same getting dressed up and going out during the day. No, and I, like I said, I do agree. But you know, it's really just fun for the little ones. Like here, feels so it's so small. We're in the middle of nowhere, and I like Keel. Don't be too tough on yourself, Jamie. I like Keel. Yeah, it's great. I just, I like I said, I think it's neat because Keel does make it and a day event. You know what I mean? They have the carnival from like noon until four, right? And then four and six for the trick or treating. But I do have to agree with you, Jeff. Trick or treating on Halloween evening when it's just that little dark is spectacular. Nothing you know, better. So, okay, good yeah. enough. Appreciate it, John. John in Bayview. John, you guys are. Uh, it's Saturday night, I think, this year, the twenty sixth. Yeah, always that last Saturday. Uh, yeah, just the the amount of people we get through the neighborhood, just all the families and all the kids and the, even the teenagers that get to dress up that never got to do it in the city of Milwaukee before we uh, were able to bring it back to nighttime and. Bayview, but 
uh, Saturday just allows for so many more people to get out and be a part of it. And uh, the things that we put on in Bayview, uh, I don't think we'd all be able to do it without having all day Saturday to prep and be ready for it. So okay, so you're but but you're so it's kind of like a community wide thing. The, the community sort of embraces Halloween as as a as a big event. Oh yeah, most definitely. Got it. But it's still but the trick or treating is at night, so you still get that that. You know, I mean, so it's right now. It's starting to get dark around what, like five thirty or six o'clock. Yeah. So you still have it. You have at least an hour or two where it's after dark. Right. All right. You think that's the way to go? Yep. All right. There you go. Thanks for call. Well, I mean, I, look for people who think it should be at night. You are swimming upstream. For people who think it should be on Halloween, like me, you are really swimming upstream. I, I do want to mention where th- this kind of all changed because I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with this situation and i know some of the principles involved um october 31st 1973 there was a little girl in fond du lac her name was lisa french and and she was out trick-or-treating and did not come home she was um she was murdered by a guy named gerald turner um who's still floating around the the court system he was known as the halloween killer and it's you know candidly after that happened the way i think community started around here started looking at trick-or-treating in the evening you know changed dramatically i guess the the bottom line is i I, and i appreciate that and i'm not i'm i'm not insensitive to concerns about safety i guess the bottom line is if you're worried about your children and and you should be i I just i I always said doesn't matter whether you send them out at six o'clock at night or two o'clock in the afternoon I, i think there still needs to be an adult there to make sure something bad doesn't happen in any event most communities, it's Sunday this year, 1 to 3, 1 to 4, 2 to 4. But some communities, Saturday nights, and some communities, it's even Halloween. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what's on everybody's mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.